so a lot of people don't realize that the menstrual cycle is an inflammatory process, right? That shedding of the uterine lining is a cascade of inflammatory markers. And in that hormonal decline, when estrogen and progesterone actually do decline, then you have also this release of prostaglandins, right? And inflammation circulating around. So of course, that is a big reason why we get symptoms. And so again, in this phase, symptoms are common as well. Welcome to FemPower Health. This is Georgie. Today, we're joined by Jess Freemass, an expert in exercise physiology from Orico, the team behind the Fitter Woman app. Jess's research, primarily focused on athletes, offers valuable insights into the impact of hormonal fluctuations during the menstrual cycle on physical performance. In this episode, we'll explore how these findings can be applied to everyone, not just elite athletes. We'll discuss the relationship between menstrual cycle and exercise, debunking common myths, and understanding how cycle tracking can enhance fitness and overall well-being. Join us as we dive into strategies to manage menstrual symptoms and optimize performance, making these learnings accessible and beneficial for all. So let's dive in. So Jess, thank you so much for joining the FemPower Health podcast. I actually learned about Orco through media around the Fitter Woman app. And what also got me excited is Georgie Bruinvels. Is that how you pronounce her name? So my name's Georgie. Her name's Georgie. I'm like, holy cow. And um, I could tell you got slammed with press because she reached out. We were talking and then all of her messages were, we are overwhelmed with press. So that's good news. So by the name of, of, of the app, um, I think people will get an idea of what we're here to talk about, which is menstrual cycles and athletics. Um, and maybe not everyone that's listening is a full-on athlete, but we're going to also talk about how the data you guys are looking at and the research you're doing can impact all of us who want to stay healthy. So before we dive into that, tell us your background, and then we can dive into some of the research. So I uh, recently finished a PhD in exercise physiology with a focus in human performance. And then I went deeper into just sort of female physiology and changes across the menstrual cycle and how it affects everything from mood to um, to renal function and how it compares to men and to fluid regulation and just um, during exercise and in the heat. And so just all of, all of the ways that really like hormonal fluctuations across the menstrual cycle can affect your physiology um, and then, of course, related to exercise in some of these studies as well. Um, and so really the goal of this Fitter Woman app is, is like you said, it, we do work with athletes as a consultancy, but, you know, this is for the just general recreationally active to elite anybody who's exercising woman and how to train, you know, smarter and better and give the evidence-based researches and practices to really like hone in and harness sort of the, we call it the inner superpower that your body is and that the menstrual cycle can be. I did some research, so I looked at like top mm-hmm. questions people ask about menstrual cycles and working out. And some of the questions were even, is this, you know, fact or fiction that it really matters your menstrual cycle, where you are in your menstrual cycle and how that impacts working out? And some of the data is, you know, it's ridiculous, it's hocus pocus, um, you know, and then you guys are looking at data. And so, so before we, I guess, dive into some of this data, I had just a theoretical question. So one of the things that I'm noticing in women's health, because I've spoken to well over 100 experts now, and some are clinicians, Mm -hmm. some are doing like tech companies that are doing deep data analysis, is sometimes I wonder if 
the reason why people may not think something works is because we don't yet have the data. So the que- the question is the wrong question. It's not, does this work? It's almost, do we have the data? And what does the data say? Does it work or not? And I don't know if people start with that first question. And so based on the research that you guys have been doing, I'm so curious on your thoughts on that very general question. I mean, this is discussed often, especially among scientists and like applied scientists and, and just both because, you know, there's a barrier to research, there's a barrier to applied side, and they're so interlinked. So for instance, you know, as on the scientists, like research side, we're like, yes, show us the evidence. Where's the evidence so that we can really sort of make best informed choices. And I think to your point, we are lacking so much data in this space, even though, you know, it's it's gaining popularity and, and there is more research up, out and coming and people are taking notice, but we still have so many years and, and studies to do to really, I mean, even equal men if that ever happens, but it just takes so long to study the menstrual cycle in these women. And so we don't, you know, we just don't have like clear cut evidence on anything. And every woman is so individual based off her own sensitivity to her hormones, her levels of hormones, you know, just everything can affect the cycle too. And, and every woman is completely different. And so I think, you know, in that sense, we try to frame it as, as much evidence as we can gather to sort of maybe not necessarily change practices, but just inform decisions around what we do know based off of just general physiology, because you know, internal lab environment is so different from the applied side. And the applied side, they're just like, you know, some of them, it's especially sports teams or whatever, they're like, we just, we want to win, give us that edge. We don't care if that's like proof, you know, like we, the applied side has to be so far advanced because it's just, you know, they're real <laughs> humans trying to, you know, be applied in practice and, and, and exercise and be optimal health and performance. And so you kind of can't always go based off of, you know, this is proven. Um, although we, as as, as our team really try to not only do the research and contribute, but then also just apply what we actually know. And there's no sort of, you know, like force around that for each athlete. It's just like what's individual to her as this athlete and, and her team sport or individual sport and, and how her cycle is. And, and then we sort of go from there, but we do give the basics of like, you know, progesterone affects amino acid catabolisms. So that might mean you, you, you may need more protein at certain times, especially if you're an athlete. And so we sort of frame it like that, not as you should do endurance during this time and you shouldn't do resistance training. You know, it's, we, it's not as clear cut. Um, but I don't, that was a long winded way to say, you know, I agree with everything that you just asked and we, we definitely need more data. Yeah. Well, fear not listeners, because we will be solution oriented today and hear what your research says. So when Orico first came out, there was a study that was published um, and it was in The Guardian. And it said a recent UK wide opinion poll of 2000 women conducted by populace. Um, 54% of participants identified that they had to stop exercising as a result of their menstrual cycle, with this increasing to 73% in 16 to 24-year-olds. And so this is why what's even more concerning is there was a women in sport finding that 42% of girls don't exercise when they're on their period. And some of this is embarrassment, and I'm sure a lot of it is Mm -hmm. pain as well. Um, so talk to us about this data and, you know, we don't necessarily have to quote the numbers, but I think the theme is people, it's more of a women may exercise, not want to or exercise less when they're on their period because of various reasons. Um, so tell us, you know, 
what we should take away from that and what some of your data starting to point to? Because even some of the papers you sent were really interesting. So I think sort of that paper was, I mean, it was so great and just showing that, you know what, the menstrual cycle has been ignored and it shouldn't be because look at all these women maybe silently suffering or having these effects um, and, it, you know, affecting their productivity and their life and their exercise habits, all of this stuff that can really improve or impact health. And so I think it's more sort of, um, you know, just look at the general perceptions in women and this is something that needs to be noticed and not ignored and honed in on and why and and why is it normal for women to be like losing out on things because of their menstrual cycle um and so you know with that it could be that uh i mean again it's it's so it's every woman is so individual um but i think collectively seeing like you know, population data is so important to show that like every woman almost, so in that same study, it's like they quote, um, cite another paper that's like up to 90% of women actually experience menstrual cycle symptoms. And so this is a totally normal thing, but, but now that we have this data, how do then, how do we make it actionable? How do we, how do we change it? How do we improve that? And so, um, that is, you know, really the point of this is showing that women are affected and they actually realize they're affected. Or maybe some women took that, you know, that survey and didn't realize how much it affected them until they got actually asked those questions because that's the biggest issue, right, is that female health isn't really discussed, even sort of with medical practitioners. Not every woman is really maybe honest or or or, or even is, has that body awareness to know that it's her hormones that are affecting her in this X, Y, and Z way, you know. And so um, I think that is sort of the really important thing to take away from this, yeah. My presumption, especially from that interview and just general Mm -hmm. things I've read, is it's almost like this formula, which didn't really make sense to me in like a, when you think of professional athletes, is based on where you are in your cycle, that impacts the type of work Mm -hmm. out that you should do. And so, for example, like when you have your actual menstrual cycle, when you're bleeding, maybe you do lighter workouts, but you can't schedule, let's say, a professional soccer game around an entire team's menstrual cycle. And so when we when we look at this, this concept of women's hormones change throughout their cycle, and we all want to be fit, whether we're an athlete or not, it may matter a bit more to an athlete as far as their ability to truly perform what does that really mean for the activity level? Do you really have to change it based on where you are? Does it not matter? Can you supplement with food? Like, what does that grand picture look like? You know, I mean, great question. And I think I often see a lot of sort of misinformation or, or, you know, you should or shouldn't do this. And I think you can't really say that. And again, I'm always going to come back. It comes down to the individual, but the whole goal of what we're doing and by tracking the cycle and bringing that body awareness and figuring out maybe patterns of symptoms isn't to say, Hey, yeah, you know, this is a bad day for you. Just like take a day off or do rest, or maybe you shouldn't like do high intensity today. And, um, it's more like, no, you're going to have these symptoms on this day. You might feel worse. So what can we do proactively leading up to that so that those symptoms aren't going to affect how you play? Cause you're going to play right. Like exactly like you said, you can't sort of change comp- uh, competition scheduling around your menstrual cycle, right? I mean, and every other individual woman. It's just, you can't do that. And so the biggest thing you can do is sort of, we like to say, be the CEO of your own body. Like, take control of your menstrual cycle, how it affects you, notice it so that you can actually, you know, make behavioral changes. Like, oh, I know I need more. I get these 
symptoms. I get headaches, I get low back pain, I get cramps. And so I know that I need anti-inflammatory foods and antioxidants because that's going to sort of combat the inflammation maybe going on in the body as the process of menstruation occurs, you know? And so it's really just about being able to take proactive steps and really impact your health. And so that might mean changing training for yourself. However, there is no, I think, proven sort of like enough evidence to say, yes, in this, you know, in phase two, when estrogen is dominant, you should only do resistance training because you're going to be, you know, probably more likely to adapt well to resistance training. Because there are studies that show maybe like force development changes and maybe you will adapt a little bit better in that phase compared to another, but it doesn't mean that you should definitely do one exercise versus the other. And um, I think you can kind of hone in on those hormones to maybe say, I'm also going to be more motivated in this estrogen dominant phase. So I'm going to push myself harder. Whereas, you know, when I'm feeling like pretty bad in my right before I get my period because I have these symptoms maybe I'll just plan a little bit of a lighter workout or instead I'm going to push myself hard and then I'm going to actually take a longer recovery right it's just what else can you do that's just not necessarily directly affecting training but might affect yeah how you recover and your just overall health and you know optimizing everything around training so that you can train at your best every single day regardless of menstrual cycle phase Okay. So for those who may not have intimate knowledge of the phases of menstrual cycle, do you mind just walking through those real quick? Because what I'd love to do is see if there's like general themes of things you guys are seeing, especially for those who may not necessarily be athletes. Um, So let's walk through those phases and then um, we can dive into some of, of that information. Yeah, okay, so so the menstrual cycle is characterized by fluctuations in estrogen and progesterone and luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. So estrogen being estrogen and progesterone being of course the dominant hormones that really regulate the cycle um, and or that really change the most throughout. Um, and so phase so we break we have a four phase model and we break it down by phase one is your bleed phase. So that's typically when both estrogen and progesterone are low. Um, and you know, that's the menstruation phase. So that's phase one. And then phase two is we, it's characterized by this peak in estrogen that occurs before the onset of ovulation. And that's sort of, you know, like estrogen plays on serotonin dopamine pathway and it can affect all of these other things. And so we often say that, you know, maybe women have like a greater readiness in that in that phase just because estrogen does have these effects, you know, neurobiologically and physiologically that can actually, you know, enhance, maybe enhance performance or maybe enhance how you adapt to training. That whole phase one and two is really the follicular phase, the first half of the cycle separated and then ovulation occurs and then um, the luteal phase comes after ovulation. And so we really break that down into phase three and four. So phase three is kind of characterized by this you know, progesterone remains low throughout that first half of the cycle, and then it peaks and rises during phase three. Um, and then both hormones decline, estrogen and progesterone, because estrogen actually kind of rises again during phase three. And then, um, you know, phase four is the hormonal decline, the really cascade of inflammation that occurs. Would it be beneficial then and fair to talk about each of the phases then? We know that it's different for everyone, and there's a lot of nuances in there, which I think, again, is what makes studying women's health such a challenge, Um, but it would be great to be able to break that down. So why don't we start with number one, which is the bleed phase, and what are some of the considerations that you know, come into play and that people can take into account? Yeah, so I guess, so 
you know, out of all the research there, we do sort of have some high level things that we like, for instance, we, part of what we do is really educate our athletes before we even kind of work with them, right? We want everyone to have the same level of education about their own bodies. And so sort of this is how I would actually explain it to an athlete. So phase one is when you're bleeding. So you're going to have typically more inflammation in the body because what happens at, so a lot of people don't realize that the menstrual cycle is an inflammatory process, right? That shedding of the uterine lining means that you're going to have your, it's a cascade of inflammatory markers. And, um, in that hormonal decline, when estrogen and progesterone actually do decline, then you have also this release of prostaglandins, right? And inflammation circulating around. So of course that is a big reason why we get symptoms. And so again, in this phase, symptoms are common as well. And because of all of this, the recovery window might be elongated for some people. Um, and so we often say that, you know, um, estrogen actually really affects the way we store glycogen and maybe utilize carbohydrates. And so we say that it's really good to hone in on carbohydrate utilization during this phase because um, estrogen is low. And so you're going to be able, your body really will be able to harness, you know, carbohydrates really well for exercise during this time. Um, but then we always caveat like all very individual response in this phase. Are there people who decide to just take either a birth control pill or, or um, any other form of birth control to control their body such that they don't get a menstrual cycle so they can avoid this? Yes. Yeah. A big reason for a lot of people, and especially interestingly as you age, is to avoid cycles completely. Um, but athletes actually tend to be more likely to, you know, take the pill back to back to sort of manipulate their cycles around competition um, more than the average population. So yes, that, that definitely happens. It's not, we would never recommend to do that, but absolutely people have, have done that. Yeah. And do that. Yeah. Well, I interviewed Dr. Sarah Hill. Do you know her? She wrote, um, this is your brain on birth control. So I interviewed her and that episode is also going live around the same time. So I encourage people who have lots of questions about the impact of that to listen to that because that, that was like her jam. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That sounds great. Yeah. And let me say that it's really important that we let every athlete and woman know that, you know, races have been won and competitions have been won on every single phase and, and day yeah. of the menstrual cycle, right? And so this is why it's just really like, how can you sort of harness your best at each phase, regardless of what might, what effects you might feel? Yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. So carbs are good when you have your menstrual cycle. Is that, that my... <laughs> when you have your period. So yes, I mean, and we'll get into it. Carbs are good at every phase, really, especially if you're an athlete, you know, I mean, and this is with an athlete view lens, like they're going to need more carbs and protein and fat than the average person because of the high level of training that they're doing, you know, but right. um, on a performance view lens, yeah, we're like uh, increase the carbs in this phase for sure. Okay. And what about just general... Um, you know, an anti-inflammatory diet during that time, like really concentrating on like the turmerics and the gingers yeah. and things yeah. like that as well. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, especially if you're having a lot of symptoms, if, if there actually are some studies that looked at like curcumin with menstrual cycle specific symptoms and, and, you know, there are certain vitamins that are really good to have just in general for menstrual cycle, female health function. And, um, but also that can really impact symptoms and an omega three fatty, like, so fatty acid supplement, like a fish oil has actually been shown to kind of be, you know, correlated with reducing lower back pain as a menstrual cycle symptom. And so definitely honing in on nutrition is everything. Yeah. Okay. So now let's go to um, phase two, which is the peak estrogen. So talk to us about that yeah. phase and what we should consider. 
Yeah, so as I mentioned before, so estrogen actually, yeah, acts on the serotonin dopamine pathway to increase sort of, you know, that pathway and make you hopefully, make, you might feel a little bit happier during this phase. You might have more energy. Um, actually, one study that I did it, um, showed that you, you sort of do have a greater motivation level in this phase and might affect performance for the better compared to sort of, you know, phase three, phase four. Um, and so we, you know, often say, like, go on and push forward if you're feeling good, like, you know, your hormones are, are meant to do that in this time. So um, often, yeah, mood and readiness are increased. We say that this is a really good time to also increase carbs, but it's a little bit different mechanistically. So estrogen actually is glycogen storing. So that means that you're going to be more in an, you know, a stored state, which is really interesting. And I think it's right because of ovulation. Ovulation is the main reproductive process that's going on. And let's say, you know, your body's actually preparing to like get pregnant if you're not any on anything right and it's the natural process of ovulation and so of course it makes sense that in that time or maybe estrogen is to store up those carbohydrates because you need your energy you need more energy at those reproductive times right um more metabolically active in that so so i think it's really interesting but because of that then we say increase the carbs because you're less likely to utilize carbs maybe for the same given intensity maybe during phase one when it's low and so um you can still increase those carbohydrates, especially as an athlete, because, you know, carbs really fuels high intensity and long duration exercise. Interesting that it's sort of like we say still eat more carbs, but it's just kind of different um, on how your body responds. Right. Anything um, else that people should consider? Yeah. So, um, you know, some research has shown that muscle laxity changes sort of mid-cycle, maybe around this time as well. So there could be sort of altered biomechanics um, and possibly an increased risk of soft tissue injury. But, you know, we we really need more research in this area. So I can't say everything definitively. But and then there is sort of because, again, you know, that increase in estrogen um, and it's really good at acting on nitric oxide in the, in the blood to sort of stimulate blood flow, um, vasodilate. And so it could be that you have an accelerated adaptation to training stimulus. What about the phase three now? Yeah, beginning so phase, of the luteal phase. <laughs> yeah, phase three is really like we go back to progesterone, correct, characterized by that really increase in progesterone. And because of that, it's correlated with an increase and affects body temperature. So you have an increase in body temperature at baseline and resting heart rate and breathing rate potentially. Um, and again, you're going to be, you kind of probably need more calories and you need to fuel more regularly in this phase because your metabolism is going to be higher because of all, you know, those processes um, increasing based off this increase in progesterone. And, um, so, uh, we, so there's also, you can have like mood could be affected, you know, and sleep just because of this, like maybe you do feel hotter, maybe you're more uncomfortable, maybe night sweats occur. Um, this could also happen in phase four, but, um, essentially it really alters your metabolism. So glycogen can be less, um, stable at this time. And because of that, that's why we say, especially to athletes, like make sure that you're eating and you're fueling every two to three hours, because if you have these big dips or gaps, um, in energy intake, that's probably going to increase cortisol and then maybe suppress your endogenous, you know, ovarian hormones. And so it's really important to keep up the regular fueling in this phase. Um, and then oftentimes, especially with athletes, we recommend more protein like pre and post workout just because um, there is an increase in amino acid catabolism. And so there could be a greater need for protein as well. Um, and there could be also a shorter re recovery window. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what about because progesterone is starting to increase at this phase, correct? Yeah. And I guess yeah. I would just think that with the the weight helps with mood, et cetera, and sleep, does it make more of an impact when you get to 
phase four and the way you guys break this out? You know, it's so individualized based off of, I think, each woman's kind of sensitivity to progesterone um, and then possibly even the ratio between estrogen and progesterone at these times, right? So like personally, I think of me, so I do, so I have PMDD and so I am, phase three hits me hard, like with this progesterone increase, right? And the change, Um, but then the change, so as it's increasing, you know, I'm really sensitive to that change, but then as it's decreasing, I'm also really sensitive to that change, which is why PMDD exists as well. We don't really know, you know, their etiology is unknown, but because of the changing hormones. And so I would say that it really is just individualized. Like some women might feel worse during phase three. Some might feel maybe the majority, I would say, feel worse during phase four because then probably most women don't have such a greater sensitivity to those hormonal changes. And so they're going to really feel the effects of that, you know, inflammatory cascade that's occurring in those hormonal decline. So phase four, yeah. So, so how does one treat their body during phase four when it comes to diet or considerations around exercise and things like that? What, what should they expect? Yeah. So, um, I would say that you're going to have, especially if you're, you're getting a lot of inflammation in the body, you're going to have a lot of symptoms potentially in this phase. I would say this is the most heavily set, like recorded symptom phase, um, which again, really makes sense with what your hormones are doing as they're declining. Um, and so there's increased inflammation as well as oxidative stress. Um, sleep disruption is really common during this time and mood changes such as anxiety, irritability, sadness, like this is really, these are really affected by this hormonal decline as well. Um, and then you kind of, interestingly, you might have a more unstable blood glucose. And this is the phase that we tell our athletes, you really need to care for yourself or be proactive leading up to it because it could be just the perfect storm, right? Because you're already maybe having these, you know, effects from these endogenous hormones psychologically and and physio and physiologically and physically and and then you might also fail a test and you might break up with your boyfriend and then you also might have a bad training session you know and then it's just like boom you're gonna it's just kind of explode in that phase and so it's really you know sensitive to just behavioral changes yeah okay so how does someone know where they are exactly how are people tracking this data because there is such variability especially at stages of life as well so yeah our app is free to download and use and actually we just we're just like about to launch it sort of like the next version of it um and tracking the cycle really yeah it enables you to hone in on where you add in your cycle and sort of just notice so for instance like you log so you go into the app and you just log like when you're bleeding and you can also log any symptoms positive and negative because again we wanted to see we want the menstrual cycle not just to be seen as a burden but like maybe you might feel better at certain times so you should log it and you should know it when you're feeling good and when you might be feeling worse um and so it's just a tool to really figure out your own individual patterns so that you can sort of optimize really your health. That way it can also eventually, you know, female health is just so underlying and underpinning because it can be affected by travel and, you know, lifestyle stress and lack of fueling or, you know, differences in fueling if you change diets or whatever and altitude and environment. So, so this is sort of just like, you know, you know where you're at and you know whether you're going to be regular, irregular, and you can sort of plan ahead. Um, and so the athletes track and then we actually have a separate coach platform where with our athletes specifically, we actually can monitor them as well. So, you know, if I know I have an athlete who sort of has a problem in phase three, I'll give her a heads up a few days and be like, hey, remember this checklist to do during this time and leading up to it because like, you know, you have a lot of fatigue during this phase. And so, so that's really how we use it and monitor it um, in that purpose. Yeah. Okay. And I was wondering, cause I know there's so many apps out there now for, yeah. for women's health. And I was curious 
how much people truly enter in their data so that you all are able to evaluate mm -hmm. from just a more holistic perspective what's going on with women's health. Are you finding that people are um, fairly compliant in entering their data? Because I know we all love to track stuff, but yeah. it can be a lot in our busy lives. So I was curious Absolutely. realistically. I would say, you know, general average exercise woman using the app, probably not logging everything. And, and you know, maybe you start logging for a few months or a few cycles and then, um, you're like, oh, I'm done with this. Or I just, you know, you just, like I, for instance, even a while back was just, you know, I have so many symptoms and I was logging them all. And then I just got tired of that and just started logging the first day of my bleed so that I could prepare for like when my, you know? So I right. am absolutely sure, you know, with anything subjective, like people probably aren't, you know, adhering or maybe they have ebbs and flows. With our athletes, I will say, it's maybe a little bit similar, but I think they're more honed in because all they really have to do is log a bleed and we sort of, we can take care of the rest of like, you know, letting them know or, or being proactive and coming up with strategies, you know, around everything for that individual. And we also get full, ideally, we'll get like full blood panels on these athletes. That way we can have a full picture. So it's not just, you know, looking um, at the menstrual cycle, even though we do think it's sort of like our extra easy biomarker to sort of know, like if it's something's irregular, we know probably let's, let's look into the consideration of nutrition and hydration or environment or stress. Like how, what can we hone in to kind of help the menstrual cycle be regular? But we also want to look at, you know, actual other biomarkers in the blood, like thyroid function, metabolic function, oxygen transport, you know, um, immune function. And so that ideally is what um, we do to sort of get that full picture. What feedback are you getting from the non-athletes about, you know, leveraging this app and, you know, are they finding it helpful to make adjustments? Do they notice it as much or do you find, or, or maybe there's like a certain type of woman who finds this extremely helpful. Like I'm almost thinking people who have extreme PMDD are probably like, how in the world do I live my life? So what are you finding with, with the women using it? Who find it most helpful and, and how does it work for them? Yeah, I think it's it's generally great feedback, you know, especially if you if you do really kind of use it for what it's intended and access it because we offer so many um, so many resources, like all of the evidence, you know, from the research is there in the app for them to access. So they can, so for instance, like, and especially in the new app, if I log bloating, for instance, it's going to send me nutritional recipes that are good for bloating. It's going to send me resources on maybe what affects bloating and where's, and here's the evidence for it, you know? And so I think from that standpoint, yes, it can be very helpful, especially if you, like you said, if you have a disorder, um, and again, if you're like really honed in and in tune with your body, especially if you're really honed in on your training, right? Like um, then those women are probably more likely to get a lot more out of the app. Um, but I would say, you know, general user journey seems to be positive. Okay, that's great. Yeah. What are some of the things that surprised you most since you've been working at Orco and just studying this space? Mm -hmm. Oh man, I mean, I think... Well, the first thing was that I started my PhD in 2016, and the lab I was at, started at, they were doing no women research, but not even that, they weren't even including women in their studies. So that was Whoa. the biggest thing for me coming in, because I was like, you know, and then I just took, I was like, why aren't we studying women? Let's do this. And, and you know, now they all are always including women, or they're justifying if they don't, whatever, you know, so... So I think that I was just most surprised that it was like we were completely ignored. And that was recently, you know, and we still are probably in some labs. And I think, again, there it's really been blowing up lately, this topic. And for and I think it's a really great thing. Um, so 
that's really just been the biggest surprise. And then I think, you know, maybe the other surprise, and I'm not, I'm not so surprised as much, but is, is kind of all the stories that each woman, women have had are similar and that they haven't been cared for properly in this female health space, you know? And not only that, I guess my biggest really surprise is that how the lack of education exists in, um, in all of, you know, in all of these women and, and in our, these environments. And it just, I know I didn't think about it cause I studied it so in depth, but then you come out and you're like, my friends don't even know what, like anything about their hormones, you know, I just, and, and also these athletes and, and just general women. And you just, you end up talking about it and you realize how little women actually know about them themselves and their bodies. And I think that was the biggest shock to be honest. Once we start to understand these things, I bet the people that are using the app, they probably also don't track as much because I have found once you track yourself for like three months, obviously, if there's a major change in your life, like pregnancy or getting into the stage of perimenopause or menopause, you have to track again. But it does seem like you both get to know your body from a statistical perspective, having the app, Mm -hmm. but then you're probably able to, with your intuition, listen to your body better because now you actually know what to look for. Exactly. And and that is the whole point. And so I think um, is again, like, yeah, br- bringing that body awareness, making you the CEO of your own body. And especially in those cases, right, it's really sad that women, you know, they, they don't even think about their female health because it's not discussed and they're not educated on it. And so then they get to the point of, oh, I think I could just get pregnant and it doesn't happen or perimenopause and menopause is really tough to go through. And yet nobody actually, you know, uh, prepares you for it. And this is just such an issue. Like this all should be so discussed. And so it's amazing that you're doing this podcast to talk about all of these different things. The tracking, you know, creates historical data. So not only for you to sort of maybe if you are starting to notice differences or irregularities or more symptoms, you can bring it to your doctor, you know, and say, look, like I have this data on myself. And that can sort of help make more informed decisions, right? And that's the whole goal is treating individuals, each woman as an individual. And and this just helps with that. And so the new app will bring that. So like trends and reports and like how many you blog, how many times you blog this symptom and, and usually when it is in your cycle or how long, you know, your cycle length is typically on average and if it deviates much and sort of cycle length and longer, you know, so that is really an aspect to hone in on that's really cool again, for that sort of historical health data on yourself that you you have tracked and logged. And so again, with that subjectivity of it, hopefully women are thinking about themselves and just like, I'm doing this for me. It's not for anyone else to see this data, you know, but you might right. need it later on. Um, and so um, that brings that, but it also sort of brings, again, the positive symptoms are something we really, really want to hone in on because we want the menstrual cycle to be used as a superpower. It's not a burden. And so maybe you feel more productive at that time, or you feel happier, um, or you feel, you know, more coordinated. And so we input those sort of positive symptoms as well, based off of course, the research and what we've shown or what we've seen. Um, and then we also have, so our old app did have recipes, but now we sort of have recipes, um, that will pop up tailored to you, for you, based off of what you're actually logging in those symptoms. And I think that's really helped um, because, you know, if you are having trouble with a symptom, you can you have evidence right there to show you that's like, this might help with what you're going through. Try it, you know, and it's so personalized. Um, and then not only that, but you can sort of say if you're vegan or vegetarian or pescatarian or you're, you're um, gluten intolerant, and it will send you those specific recipes. So, again, very much personalized suggestions. Um And then, you know, we've always had this coach platform, but now if you are using our sort of like remote desktop and monitoring, let's say a team or an athlete, or this is what we do, you can send actual resources to the the 
you know, athlete's phone. And so I can see, oh, this athlete has logged bloating. I'm going to send this resource on bloating to her phone and it will pop up right there to say, here's a resource your coach sent you, you know? Yeah. And so it also kind of streamlines that communication between staff and athletes, which can be a really uncomfortable topic and not everyone is yet comfortable talking about it. And so this kind of helps that. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. And then should I assume that this app is most relevant for menstruating women? So if if you're, I don't know how much it would work for perimenopause, but it seems Mm -hmm. like menopause might not be as relevant. What do you, I mean, I don't know if you guys have studied it. it What do you think? Yeah. I mean, it depends. I think you're right. This is more maybe tailored to the um, sort of reproductive stages, I guess, of life. Um, but I would say that if you're having sim- symptoms, like it is still something really good to log and monitor and keep up with. And if you do end up having spotting ever, you know, you can look back. And um, I think it can also, um, it's not necessarily specifically for menopause, but um, you bring me to a good point that I forgot. And what's really novel about this app is that we want every user journey who who might be in that reproductive stage of life. So like if you're on an IUD, you can log that and it will sort of tailor your user journey to you as an IUD user versus an OCP user versus an implant versus, um, you know, not on anything. So just being eumenorrheic um, or if you're oligomenorrheic or polymenorrheic, it's going to sort of flag those and say, you know, you might be irregular because you've had, you know, you have like 50 day cycle links and that's out of like the, you know, literature defined range of 21 to 35 days. So maybe you want to get this checked out. It might mean that it's oligomenorrheic. And we, again, we try to educate through that too specifically. So not as to diagnose or, or flag, it's just more like, if you are a regular, you should know because that actually might affect you if you want your long-term female health, right? And if you want to get pregnant or, or even maybe it affects menopause later down the road, you know? And so I think that just tailored journey to whatever you're on or whatever you're taking or not or in however your cycle links sort of, you know, come out to be, um, we're going to let, we're going to educate um, through the app. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll put a link in the show notes to access the app. And and I will attest, like, again, having interviewed all these experts, I find that I feel like such an empowered patient when I go talk to my doctor and I can have like actual dialogue and push them a little bit on certain things um, when needed. And it's been so, so helpful. And so I can only imagine, um, you know, how one can leverage this as well. So, So thank you for sharing so much about the information. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that wraps up another empowering session here at the FemPower Health Podcast. Now, before you dash off, I've got a quick, exciting invitation for you. Please join our vibrant community by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, because it's really your frontline update on groundbreaking women's health research, the latest health-enhancing products, fun quizzes to boost your health IQ, and unique discoveries that you won't want to miss. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms. Love today's insights? Show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast. Your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower Health. It lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. And for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower-health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge, neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages, ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply. Whether you have a question, a story to share, or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at 
fmpower-health.com, drop us a message on social media, or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations. And a quick note, the knowledge we share is here to embolden you in discussions with your healthcare provider. It's not medical advice. Always consult with your doctor for health decisions. And remember, the diverse perspectives of our guests reflect their individual journeys, and it's not an endorsement by FemPower Health. Here's to empowering your health journey one episode at a time, and I'll see you on the next FemPower Health podcast episode.